episodes drop the last Monday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. Hey there, and welcome to the Matt Forgot That podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, a couple of months ago, I was approached by my friend who asked me to take a look at his script. It was about his experiences in fraternities. Not a true story, but wanted to capture that spirit. At first, I wasn't really interested in the project because I've heard too many stories about fraternities and been around too many frat bros to really want to write about them. But as I started developing some of the characters and fleshing out the story, I started to enjoy the experience. I did a lot of research on the history of fraternities, their bylaws and goals. Most have admirable objectives that are in line with the institution's policies, and a lot of great long-term friendships can come out of it. But they've got some bad PR, man. All the hazing stories, it's really heartbreaking when you hear that. But I did gain a new perspective on fraternities that I didn't have before. And this is why you need to be open-minded. This is why you need to do research. You can't just look at a headline and make an opinion. You have to do the work. You have to understand where it's coming from. So I look forward to seeing where this project goes. And the reason I'm bringing all this up? Well, it's related to this week's movie. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it, two stars watch at your own risk, three stars standard fare, four stars worth checking out, and five stars must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing National Lampoon's Animal House from 1978. It was directed by John Landis, who helmed the Blues Brothers, An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Coming to America, and Michael Jackson's Thriller. The screenplay was co-written by Chris Miller, Douglas Kenny, and Harold Ramis, who scribed Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Back to School, and Ghostbusters. The movie is a starring vehicle for John Belushi as John Bluto Blutarski. He was born and raised in Chicago and attended the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater before dropping out to start his own comedy troupe. It gained the attention of Bernard Salins, founder of The Second City, who asked Belushi to join the cast. He worked alongside Harold Ramis, Brian Doyle Murray, and Joe Flaherty. A year later, he moved to New York City and starred in an off-Broadway show with Chevy Chase and Christopher Guest. Then he worked for National Lampoon, both on radio and for the magazine. Some of the cast members included Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, and Richard Belzer. This led him to Saturday Night Live, where he would spend four years before embarking on a movie career. This is what I remember. The initiation scene, where a young Kevin Bacon gets paddled as he says, Thank you, sir, may I have another? 
The zit scene, where Bluto fills his mouth with food and punches his cheeks, projecting the food from his mouth, which causes the famous food fight scene. I know this movie is responsible for the toga toga cheer, but I have no context for it. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. The movie starts at Faber College in 1962. Incoming freshmen Larry Kroger and Kent Dorfman attend a party at Omega Theta Pi House, a prestigious fraternity on campus. They don't exactly fit in with the captain of the swim team or the editor of the Daily Faberian, and soon leave dejected. As they walk Fraternity Row toward Delta Tau Chai House, Kent believes that since his brother Fred was a member, he's a legacy candidate and a shoo-in for brotherhood. He urges Larry to try harder, and he'll put in a good word for him. Larry Kroger is portrayed by Tom Halsey, who's best known for playing Mozart in Amadeus, a part he received an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Kent Dorfman is played by Stephen First, who went on to be a regular on the popular medical drama St. Elsewhere, as Dr. Elliot Axelrod. The pair bump into John Bluto Blutarski, who walked them into the house, were introduced to Chapter President Robert Hoover and Rush Chairman Eric Otter Stratton, who walk around evaluating the potential pledges. Katie is tending bar, looking for her boyfriend Donald Boone Schoenstein. She's wondering if this is what he plans to do with the rest of his life, hang around with a bunch of animals getting drunk every weekend. Katie is performed by Karen Allen in her feature film debut. In three years, she would earn the part of Marion in Raiders of the Lost Ark, a role she would reprise almost 30 years later in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. In the administration building, Dean Vernon Wormer discusses with Omega President Greg Marmalard the disciplinary files of Delta House, which includes dumping a truckload of fizzies into a pool during a swim meet. I had to look that one up. Fizzies are the tablet that makes the bubbles in carbonated drinks. Delivering the medical school cadavers to the alumni dinner, and a litany of other pranks and mischief. Dean Wormer is intent on kicking Delta House off campus and invokes an appendix in the Faber College Constitution, which grants the Dean unlimited power to preserve order in time of a campus emergency. He wants Greg to find a reason to permanently revoke Delta's charter. Here's a quote without context. They confiscated everything, even the stuff we didn't steal. I'm a little disappointed in Animal House. It's got such a great reputation as a comedy and a cult following that I thought it would be more up my alley. And, you know, while I was never bored and the performances are good, it didn't hit the mark. I reviewed Old School this season in episode 24 of the Matt Watch That podcast, and I found that one to be funnier, despite its premise being a knockoff of this film. There was everything you'd expect from a college-based movie, gross-out humor, nudity, toga parties, evading authority... I actually don't think it's too debaucherous, if that's a word. It's probably because I grew up at a time where radio, music, and movies were pushing the envelope of good taste, though I'm sure for the late 70s, this movie was jarring to the populace. I was surprised that within the first 30 minutes, there isn't much of John Belushi, and I think the beginning of the film drags just a bit because of his absence. I mean, it was establishing the characters and the premise of the film. It did that well. But he's so associated to the movie that you'd expect him to be there, and his presence felt right from the beginning. 
Seinfeld fans will know ROTC candidate commander, Douglas C. Niedemeyer actor Mark Metcalf, who played Bob Cobb, a.k.a. the Maestro. There are a couple of other familiar faces, Tim Matheson, James Widows, Bruce McGill, and Peter Reigert. Donald Sutherland acts as Dave Jennings, the cool English professor who smokes pot with his students. I haven't seen him in too many comedies, and he was good for the brief time he was on screen. Now for a little trivial trivia. This was Kevin Bacon's first role, two years before Friday the 13th. He would go on to star in Diner, Footloose, Quicksilver, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Tremors, Flatliners, He Said, She Said, JFK, and many, many more. And that's how Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is Born. This was the first movie under the National Lampoon's banner, the popular humor magazine. It was produced by Ivan Reitman, who would go on to direct Ghostbusters, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Dave, and Junior, and produce Stripes, Heavy Metal, Beethoven, Space Jam, Private Parts, and Old School. The cinematography was captured by Charles Carell, whose filmography includes Moving Violation, Assault in Paradise, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and episodes of Kojak. He's also had a successful career as a director of MacGyver, Melrose Place, Beverly Hills 90210, CSI Miami, and Without a Trace. It was edited by George Falsey Jr., who worked on The Blues Brothers, Coming to America, Bulletproof, Cheaper by the Dozen, and Hostel. He was a producer on Coming to America, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, and Clue. The score was composed by Elmer Bernstein, who wrote the music for The Ten Commandments, Sweet Smell of Success, Birdman of Alcatraz, To Kill a Mockingbird, HUD, The Great Escape, Meatballs, Airplane, Stripes, and Ghostbusters. He won an Oscar for Best Music, Original Music Score for Thoroughly Modern Millie. I'd be interested to take a deeper dive on his work, because he's done a lot of high-profile films. The soundtrack features the songs Lue Lue, Twistin' the Night Away, Tossin' and Turnin', Shamalama Ding Dong, and Money, That's What I Want. <laughs> Who doesn't? Am I right or am I right? Or am I right? The runtime is 1 hour 49 minutes. It had a budget of $3 million and grossed $141 million at the box office. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. I kinda hesitate because I know it's popular. I want to like it more. But for me, I feel it's just standard. If you've seen Animal House and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. Moving right along, I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about... The Baseball Bunch. It was presented by Johnny Bench, who taught the fundamentals of baseball to a group of little leaguers, including batting stances, proper sliding techniques, executing a double play, and hitting the cutoff person. They would also address issues young athletes face, like sportsmanship, boosting confidence, and dealing with overly critical parents. Each episode featured a guest star, which was a current or former player, coach, or Hall of Famer, who would talk about their specific set of skills. Who wouldn't want tips about playing third base from Mike Schmidt, or power hitting with the Hawk Andre Dawson, or how to successfully steal bases with Joe Morgan? It was an accolade to be asked to appear on the baseball bunch. At the time, the only national broadcast of games were on the Saturday Game of the Week and Monday Night Baseball, and of course the postseason. 
The program gave MLB players national exposure, where they could show off their personalities. Speaking of, there were two other personalities that made the show a success. The first was the famous chicken, or the famous chicken, portrayed by Ted Giannoulis, who approached the San Diego Padres front office and asked if they wanted a mascot. He was a lifelong fan of the team and had built a great reputation at the San Diego Zoo. The front office agreed, and on June 29th, they had a grand hatching where the famous chicken emerged. Two years later, he was hired to bring comic relief on the baseball bunch. My family went to see the famous chicken in person at a minor league baseball game, and he was hilarious. The absolute best at what he does. He did a dance-off against Barney the Dinosaur, and when he lost, beat the crap out of him. Of course, the fans cheered. The other personality was the dugout wizard, who was Los Angeles Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda, dressed in a Karnak-inspired turban. He would give the little leaguers some words of wisdom about the game. Outside of teaching fundamentals, they would have comedy sketches peppered through the program, player profiles featuring footage, and taught lessons about the history of baseball, including expansion teams and statistical analysis of how to calculate batting average or ERA. But my favorite were the music montages. Two memorable ones were the songs Dizzy by Tommy Rowe, which showed footage of baseball players making bonehead plays, and We Just Disagree by Dave Mason, a top 20 song for me. That had clips of arguments between managers or players and umpires. The Baseball Bunch was produced by Major League Baseball and aired in broadcast syndication for five seasons from 1981 to 1985. It won three Sports Emmy Awards for Outstanding Achievement in Special Programming and nominated for another five during its run. I've selected a few clips. The first features Pete Rose and the Famous Chicken. It also includes part of the theme song, which isn't available on YouTube, believe it or not. I can find a Whisk commercial from 1973, but not the Baseball Bunch theme song. The second is a skit, a recreation of the Pine Tar Incident with Rick Dempsey as George Brett. The third is The Science of Hitting with Ted Williams. The producers recreated his hit zone chart in a 3D sculpture with dozens of baseballs and colors representing his hot and cold zones. It had never been done before and Ted was impressed with it when he arrived on set. But after the show, they didn't know what to do with it. Originally, they were going to throw it out, but they decided to call the Baseball Hall of Fame and ask if they wanted it. They accepted the donation and kept it in storage for 15 years. But when the hall had a Ted Williams exhibit, they displayed the 3D sculpture, and it was a big hit with visitors. And now it's on permanent display. The last video is unrelated to the baseball bunch, but showcases the famous chicken doing what he does best, entertaining audiences. The videos are all available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and review. He also had a successful career as a director of MacGyver, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson? (laughs) Uh, It would be Melrose Place.
toward Delta Tau Chow High. Oh, boy. <laughs> I had no shot with that one. If you enjoyed this episode of the Matt Forgot That podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Matt Watch That podcast for all the reviews, rants, and randomness.